Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yes, yes. Welcome into another edition of the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. Our guest this week presented by Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies, St. Louis born, Belleville raised, Wake Forest golf superstar, and then he wound up with 15 top 10 finishes at the majors on the PGA Tour. Ladies and gentlemen, Jay Haas, our guest on the Tim McKernan Show, talking Tiger at Augusta, talking his perspective on the Tiger change over the last decade, uh, both physically but also uh, behaviorally, uh, on tour with his uh, fellow players. His experience not only on the tour himself but with his son, Bill Haas, on the PGA Tour and what it's like as a parent watching your son uh, play on the PGA Tour and also the state of the game of golf. All of those questions discussed in a really, really good conversation with an incredibly kind and friendly man, a St. Louis native who continues to do very well on the Champions Tour and did incredibly well. Dating back to 74, he was playing in majors, and he played in majors on the PGA Tour all the way through 2008. His name is Jay Haas, and he is our guest this week on the Tim McCurdy Show. Well, Jay, the golf world turned its attention to Augusta this past weekend, and I think people who weren't even golf fans were locked in almost taking place in Georgia uh, throughout uh, Sunday morning and Sunday afternoon with Tiger Woods and the comeback. What were you doing watching the Masters? Well, I didn't watch, uh, you know, Thursday through Sunday every shot or anything, but I saw a good bit, and then I saw quite a bit on Sunday and, uh, yeah, pretty, pretty incredible, uh, pretty incredible leaderboard. Uh, you know, it looked like uh, Francesco was going to do it again. He had seemingly control and was playing very well. And I think his first time in, uh, in quite a long time when he had was in contention that he didn't have his best stuff on Sunday, but you know, Tiger was just there the whole time, never panicked. He looked like he just had a good sense about him, you know, as he was uh, going through. He never seemed to, uh, you know, show his emotion or anything when he hit a poor shot, uh, made the putts he needed to make. And uh, it was it was very, very special to watch and uh, pretty pretty great for the golfing world. You made reference to Francesco maybe not having his best stuff for the first time in contention. You know, if you would have asked me who I thought was going to win on Saturday night, I would have told you Francesco just because he seems to be, I don't know what a term you would use for it because you've been out there, you've experienced it, you've seen it firsthand, but mechanical, robotic, like somehow above some of the stuff that gets called the Tiger effect. He already had dealt with it at the Open at Carnoustie, you know, eight months earlier, and and I noticed he was smiling a little bit coming off of number nine. Brooks Kepka even fist pumped a little bit when he sunk a putt, which was uncharacteristic for him. And yet Tiger, when he walked off a nine after that ridiculous two putt from the back of the green, he looked like the same guy from the early 2000s with that dead focus look on his face. And I thought he's in the zone. Those other two guys, even though they're happy, were uncharacteristic in their normal behavior. And I wondered if, if we would see something different from them on the back nine. Two guys who historically are pretty unemotional out on the golf course. Is there anything to that kind of stuff when you get in that situation, the back nine at the Augusta, and you're up against a Tiger Woods? Yeah, I think the players just really feel 
how special the Masters is and the tradition there and all the history. And if you think about the other major tournaments, they always move around. You know, we might go to Pebble Beach once every 10 years, uh, Wingfoot once every 10 years. You know, the great courses of America, and certainly there's a rotation for the Open Championship. But uh, you go to Augusta, and you know, everybody knows what 13's like, what 15's like, the pin on 16. Mm-hmm. And, you know, year after year, and the players know that, too. So I think they maybe uh, have a different mindset, perhaps. I don't know, but you're right. I noticed the same thing. Uh, Francesco, I, I, I thought, gosh, if anybody's a machine, it's him. He seems... Uh, uh, yeah, you know, immune to the pressure almost. I don't know. It seemed like at the British Open, he hit shot after shot after shot. It was just beautiful. And, um, you know, I expected more of the same on Sunday that he was going to be pretty tough to beat. And then you looked at how, you know, Tiger bogeys four and five, and Francesco made it unreal up and down at six. And that looked like a possible two shot swing yeah. there. And Tiger missed. He makes the par. Uh, you know, it just looked like everything was going his way. But then. Uh, he he kept the same composure. You're exactly right. I think that he never flinched, uh, and the other guys did. Uh, they blinked there, certainly on number 12. Uh, something must have been fishy there. there yeah, what do you think about that? Because four of the final six went into the water, and I was wondering, now you, you've, of course, experienced that place. What you right. can see from the 11th fairway, though there, you know, it's an elevated fairway down to that green, and Poulter and Kepka both go in, and Tiger sees Molinari go in, and he's thinking to himself, as he said, I know Brooks is stronger than me. He hit a nine iron, and he couldn't get it there. So I knew I hit an eight and then do what Jack Nicklaus always would do, which is just hit it over that bunker, even though it's not at the pin, just kind of a bailout to be safe. Is that a spot on that course, Jay, where you can't feel the wind, but it's up there because you're kind of down low on a course that's so hilly? You know, what I noticed watching on TV when I did watch is very little wind most of the week. You know, occasionally, uh, you, you know, it, it gusted a little bit here and there. But basically, that is one of the most uh, difficult shots to judge year after year. And you look, they say the wind, the flag could be blowing one way on 11 green. You look at 12, it's blowing the opposite. You just don't ever know what club to hit. But it didn't seem to be a huge issue Saw very few balls in the water the first three days. Yeah. Certainly from the leaders, we didn't see anything. But there must have been something above the trees there that you couldn't tell on the on the green level. The the the, the Rays Creek was not rippling at all. And the the fact was, I I think that uh, the guys who hit in the water, they were all left to the pin. You know, it was just a total miss club. You know, you know maybe Francesco mishit it a little mm-hmm. bit, but they were. You know, other guys have gone, you know, uh, Jordan there a couple years ago. He kind of pushed it and, you know, went at the pin too much and hit the bank, went in, whatever, when he hit two in there. But, uh, you know, I I don't know. There was just some kind of, uh, you you know, don't want to say divine intervention, but (laughs) it certainly uh, looked like those guys had never played the hole before almost, and Tiger had, you know. So after after everybody hit in the water, he just, uh, you know, he probably even played farther left uh, than he would have yeah. uh, in that position. So, anyway, why is that uh, hole so? Why is that hole so tough? There's just very little depth to it. The green runs a little bit away from you, left to right. Uh, so, if you take enough club to go to the pin and you pull it, you're over the green. If you take enough pin club to go with the pin, say the middle of the green, you push it, you're in the water, and so. Uh, it, it's hard to uh, convince yourself over the bunker is the proper shot. You know, you just, it, it, we're all geared to shoot at the pin and everybody on the downswing, I think thinks, ah, you know, I'll just hang on a little bit and cut it back at that pin. <laughs> and that's just, you just can't do that. You just have to play for the middle of green unless you just absolutely have to make a birdie. And very rarely does anybody have to make a birdie at number 12. You know, it's, there's six more holes after that. So, Unless you're six or seven behind, there's no sense in shooting at that pin. I wonder if Tiger would have had a different approach had Molinari gotten on and been within 10 feet, because at that point he was two strokes back. Molinari would have been on in regulation, and maybe he takes a different strategy. So perhaps it was a good thing that he didn't birdie 11, and he wound up having to hit second to Francesco and then could take the more conservative route uh, that really, I think, did turn the tournament. Yeah, you can go through all kinds of what-ifs and 
what if uh, Tiger didn't have a shot on 11 there after he blocked yeah. the trees? Yeah, and, back-to-back uh, days he had that little lane. Yeah, how does that happen? You know, you, that's jail over there. So, it, uh, you know, somebody said, I didn't see it on Saturday maybe. He pull-hooked it in the trees on 13 and it kicked out. Yep. And he ended up making a birdie. You know, most of the time you hit it in there, it's, you don't even find it. So uh, a lot of things have to happen for a player to win. Uh, Tiger certainly, to me, was not as dominant as he was you know, 15 years ago, 18 years ago, whatever it was. But he, when he had to hit the shots, he's an amazing front runner. If you think about it, when he gets his nose out in front, he hardly ever misses a shot. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and the the unbelievable stat is that was the first time he'd ever come behind to win a major. I know. That, that's pretty amazing. Uh, so many things have to go right for anybody to win. But, uh, you know, when it came down to it, he hit the shots he had to hit and – yeah, you can what if all kinds of stuff, uh, but you know at the end of the day, he's got that green coat again, and uh, the other guys are they're they're the what ifs. You know what what if I hadn't hit it in the creek there and all that. So they, you just never know. I was uh, enamored by the the I guess five minutes from the moment he sank the 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 winning putt to the time he walked in uh to sign his scorecard and everything that transpired his emotional release uh, seeing him with his son with his daughter with his mom with his girlfriend uh and then making his way through in the, in the cheers but the thing that i was anticipating and i wondered if we would see it and my favorite scene personally and i'm curious your perspective as a player is whether or not a bunch of guys would be waiting for him um, after he won. I thought they would be, because I know he does have a good relationship from living down in Jupiter with guys like uh, Ricky Fowler and, and Justin Thomas. And sure enough, you did see a bunch of current players, guys who had just competed actually out there waiting for him. What did you think of that? Did you expect to see that? You know, it, it kind of caught me golf guard a little bit, you know, but at the same time, uh, the layout there is so different than it used to be. It used to be the scoring tent was right behind the 18th green, and then you left from there. Now you score, you do your scorecard in the clubhouse area. Uh, but yeah, that was very cool, and to see all of those guys. I saw Bernhard yeah. at the end, and uh, you know some of the guys who just like to hang around and you know uh, wear their green coat one more <laughs> afternoon <laughs> and things like that. But that was uh, certainly respectful. And I'm sure in days when they are playing down there in South Florida, just practicing, there's a lot of trash being talked. And, uh, and so I think that was just a sign of respect out of, uh, from, from those younger guys. And at the same time, Brooks just finished and all that stuff. So it was, uh, you know, it was cool to see Ricky there though. And, and, and a lot of those guys, Bubba hang around, uh, that was pretty special. And I will say this, that I, I, I was uh, very happy to see Tiger's reaction. It was like uh, any one of us ever winning a major tournament. You know, it, it, it seems like in the past when he's won, it's just like, okay, I won that one. Where's the next one? You know, and this one was his reaction on 18 green, uh, you know, kind of letting out the scream and just, you know, raising his fists. And it was it was a different um uh, the reaction or a different celebration in his mind, I think. And not a, not a, I told you so or anything like that. He was genuinely probably as happy as I've ever seen him, uh, certainly winning and then having the kids there and everything. I think that just was, uh, uh, you know, it was great to see that reaction in my eyes. I'm glad you brought that up, Jay, because um, ha- I've read a number of uh, golf writers' perspectives on this just because it was the story. It still is the story. And one of the things they've pointed out, not only the different reaction from his previous major wins, minus that first Masters perhaps in 97, um, is the fact that there were guys waiting for him and that the way that he was thought of on tour because of, the way that he conducted himself around other players on tour up until things changed here recently. Uh, some people thought that there wouldn't have been a soul waiting for him um, near uh, where they signed the scorecard on, on Sunday. But because he is now uh, a kinder, gentler tiger, so to speak, that there were guys who were happy to see him win. Do you see any of that being the case? Oh, I think so. I think that uh, most of the guys realize how important he is to the game and I kind of chuckle when I would read the 
comments by some of the young guys. Boy, we sure wish we could have played against Tiger in his heyday and all this stuff. Well, I got news for you. That's not his heyday either. His heyday, he would have mowed them down too. You know? So, uh, you know, he, he obviously played great. He won the tournament and all that stuff. But uh, he he was better than than he was. Uh, he never missed a fairway. He never missed, you know. Hey, he'd, he'd have won that tournament by 10, you know, back in 2000, 2001. So, uh, you know, just be careful what you wish for some of those younger guys. And uh, he's still, gosh, is he 43? 43 I mean, years old, yep. Plenty of tread left on those tires, you know. So he's uh, no telling. And and people have asked me, did you think he would have come back and all that? And I had times where I thought no. I had times I thought yes. Uh, I've never been 100% committed, and nothing that he does surprises me. He's a tremendous athlete and has the ability, uh, one of those great, great athletes uh, that seem to get better when the pressure's the greatest. You know, uh, a lot of us kind of shrink in those situations, and he just relishes those. You know, he's seemingly another one of those guys that seems to be immune to the pressure and almost... uh, his, he gets calmer or something. I don't know. It's uh, it, it's pretty hard to describe, but he's uh, there's never been in a golfer like him, I don't think. You know, and they, I, I'm still in Jack's camp, I suppose, about the greatest ever and all that stuff, but it's pretty hard to deny what Tiger did in a stretch of, you know, eight or ten years and how dominant he was. Um, and if you measure it by the majors, then he's still got to catch Jack and all that stuff. But, uh you know why? Why even argue that? Just let's just uh, enjoy the fact that those were the two greatest players ever. You know, you bring up Jack, and you were out there the Masters that has been getting compared to what we saw this past week with Tiger in 1986, finished uh, tied uh, for sixth in 86 when Jack made his. Uh, run on Sunday at the age of 46. What do you remember about that Sunday afternoon at Augusta? Hope you're enjoying our conversation with Jay Haas here on the Tim McKernan Show. We're doing it from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. Ryan Kelly, the sponsor of the studios here on the show. And we are very grateful for his support. As interest rates continue to drop, it's your opportunity to take advantage, whether it be right now during home buying season or for refinancing. Now is the time to do it as the pleasant surprise from a home buyer perspective that interest rates have dropped makes Ryan Kelly and the homeloanexpert.com the place to go, the person to know, and you know he's going to take the best care of you, save you the most money. He's Ryan Kelly. He is the homeloanexpert.com, and he is the sponsor of the studios here on the Tim McKernan Show. You know, I do I do remember play, I played with Jack on Saturday, and I want to say he shot 69, maybe I shot 71. We both played well, uh, but it wasn't uh, – we were pretty far out of it at the time, I suppose. But still, you know, if we get a little run going and all that stuff. But I remember it being a very friendly round, and uh, Jackie was caddying for him. And, uh, you know, he's Jackie's closer to my age almost than Jack is uh, my, my age. And so, uh, yeah, I don't know. We just had a, a enjoyable day that day. And then, uh, you know, I was just a couple groups ahead of Jack probably, and I heard the roars and knew knew that he was, you know, making his charge and things like that. But until it happens, it's to say, you know, you had uh, Seve up there and you had Norman, and you know, so it wasn't like those guys were going to go away either. And you almost didn't didn't expect that that uh, a guy 46 was going to was going to accomplish that. And I'm sure there were as many superlatives that year, uh, that afternoon, that evening in the in the news. Uh, as there was uh, just past Sunday, so uh, you know, is that the is that the greatest Masters? Uh, people in '86 said, "We'll never be another one like this." Well, guess what? We just had one, probably, <laughs> and uh, you know, you can argue that which one was a greater accomplishment and everything, but uh, it. it uh, it was pretty cool to to see them both. Actually, I was uh, I was down in Jupiter, Florida, living down there for a few months uh, when the Cardinals were at spring training, and I'll do my show down there, and then I come back up to St. Louis. And while I was down there, Adam Long, St. Louisan, who uh, won the Desert Classic, beat uh, Phil Mickelson on the seventy second hole back in January. Uh, we did an interview. We did an extended interview, and you know, I said to him, I said, you know, at some point, you had to think. 
you know, this wasn't going to work out for you. He was grinding mini tours for seven or eight years. And he goes, no, I was always just confident in my game. And I knew that I was progressing and I was going to get there. And I thought, wow, this is the kind of calm and confidence you need. And then I said, and what about, you know, being head to head with Mickelson, the crowd's either pulling for him or Adam Hadwin, the, the Canadian, there were a lot of Canadians there in Palm Springs that weekend. And you're kind of the villain. And he goes, yeah, there's just some guys during tournament play can excel and then there are some guys who can just eat them up. And for some reason, I've always had the ability to block that stuff out and and be fine. And I've found, you know, and here I am as a 10 handicap playing, whether it be in a member guest or some, you know, stupid little like D flight of a club championship. And I find myself getting tight. So I'm curious, having done what you've done in your career and you're still out there firing low 60s here and there, what, what? Was it something that you were just born with or was it something that psychologically you had to train and then begin to navigate the the heart pounding, the hands uh, getting tight, palms sweating? <laughs> What's psychologically? Because people talk about the ability to hit the ball and to putt and short right. game, but the psychology, I feel like, is so huge to the game. Yeah, I think that uh, I think some people are born a little bit more uh, able to cope with situations like that, just calmer in everyday life situations that uh, doesn't seem to ruffle them. Other people get a little too flustered and all that. But I do believe, uh, and I don't know if there's any kind of uh, books you can read or, or any mental gymnastics you can go through, but I think that uh, all of us that have had any kind of success just have a certain belief that we can do it, and you have to trust that belief. And you know what I've told Bill over time when he's you know been nervous and gets in the lead and all that stuff. I just tell him you know this is what you work for your whole career. So why why be uh, nervous about it? Be excited about it. Be you know look forward to it. Relish that that situation. And I think a lot of people are just uh, you know comfortable to be kind of swimming with the pack. And there's just a few that really want to distance themselves and, and lead. Uh, and feel comfortable in that role. And I can recall Tiger always saying that, uh, you know, if I was two or three ahead, that was I wasn't nervous because those were just a couple shots that I could kind of, uh, you know, make a bogey. I could afford to make a bogey. I couldn't, I didn't have to, mm-hmm. you know, make birdies instead of falling farther back. So uh, he enjoys the, the, the role of being the leader and all that. And I think that guys that win, they just, uh, you know, have a certain belief in the, you know what they say inside your gut or your heart or whatever you have that uh, that rises the occasion. The guy in the eighth inning or ninth inning with two outs and he comes through with the hit. You know who? Uh, you know more. There's some guys that do that more than others. Yes. You know, where they get better pitchers? I don't think. You know, I think they just know how to do it and they believe in themselves and they go up with the good attitude of uh, I'm going to get a hit as opposed to the guy I hope I get a hit. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's uh, it's hard to put your finger on, but. You know, there's a ton of people that are are capable of that and that do that now. And you look at Justin Thomas and how he can finish off a tournament. Certainly Jordan, he's not having his best run right now, but he'll be back. And he's uh, he's proven over time that he's great. Uh, Brooks has been amazing, uh, you know, three majors and (laughs) pretty, pretty incredible what he's done in the last few years. So uh, there's a bunch of guys that do it and just so happen that Tiger whooped them all this weekend. Bill, uh, excuse me. Regarding your son, you made reference to Bill. Um, how is he doing? I mean, that 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 that's uh, the the phone call you got from your son after the accident last year. Um, is is is? I mean, it, it's very cliche. Is the proverbial parent's worst nightmare? And uh, for those not familiar, your son Bill on the on the PGA Tour and experienced a you know a devastating tragedy in a car accident last year in, in, in researching for our conversation here, uh, today, Jay, um, you know, you talked about, you know, you got a text and then you got a phone call 90 seconds later and there's your son in, you know, just in, you know, in a horrific car accident where the driver passed away. Um, how is he doing? How is your family doing? Um, if you could, I know it's a, a brutal topic, but, uh, it's certainly people in St. Louis, when they heard about that, oh my God, there's Jay Haas' yeah. son. You know, it was, uh, yeah, it was quite a jolt uh, when I, you know, I texted him, I don't know what time it was, 8.30, 6, you know, it was 9.30 because it was, I think it was 6.30 out there in L.A. And I just said, how's golf going this week? And about a minute later, he called me and lays this on me that he's just been in an accident, terrible accident, head on, 
I'm okay, but I don't think the driver's good. I think he might be dead. You know, all this stuff in this conversation, and I'm just, you know, I went cold. Uh, and, you know, fast forward, I think he's doing okay. I think it, it's on his mind constantly, uh, you know, to, to be sitting uh, a foot or a foot and a half from someone uh, in a vehicle and they die and you walk away basically with just a couple bang knees. That's pretty, uh, you know, talk, there's, there's divine intervention, I would say. We kind of just... Uh, pinch ourselves or say our prayers and, and just, uh, so, so easily it could have been the other way around. Mm-hmm. And what ifs, uh, you know, talk about what ifs if he'd birdied 11, you know, what if, uh, something would have been different if Bill wasn't here right now. It just, uh, I can't even imagine that. But, uh, as far as he goes, I think he's, he's dealing with it. He wasn't playing terrific, you know, when that happened. And I think it kind of affected him, worse than he let on. Uh, I think he wasn't sleeping well for a long time and still, I think, has thoughts about it and everything. Survi- survivor's think, guilt in some capacity, you think? Maybe, yeah. I think all kinds of stuff. And, you know, he went to, he saw some people and talked about it and, you know, very natural reaction. I guess uh, post-traumatic stress syndrome, is that what you say? I think that's... Yeah. Uh, uh, that that's a uh, that that happened to him, I believe. Uh, but now, you know, a year plus later, uh, I think he's uh, he he said something to me the other day. He says, "I think I'm doing better because I'm getting mad about my golf or something like that." <laughs> and uh, so, it, it, you know, golf's a hard game, and when you got something else on your mind, it, it's just not uh, not easy to to do too much time to think about things before each shot and all that. But I do think he's. Uh, He's kind of hit the bottom, and he's starting to come back up. And I've told him, and he's he's seen it over time. Everyone goes through uh, difficult times on the golf course and in life in general. So I think he's uh, he's doing better uh, on and off the golf course, and I look for him to to get back to uh, to playing like he once was. The parent side of uh, watching your children. Uh, is now something I, I mean, I have a, a one and a half year old, so I haven't experienced it yet, but I hear from my peers who have kids who are older and they're just like, I can't tell you how nervous I am watching, but they're, they're like kicking a soccer ball around with like 20 other kids just following around in a swarm. You know, you're watching your son play on the PGA tour, a place you had incredible success. Is it, is it more nerve wracking for you to watch Bill play than it was for you to be out there and do it yourself? James Carlton is the man that I have been working with the most over the last few weeks. Ever since we returned home and our basement was flooded, I have been on the phone calling, texting, emailing with James Carlton nonstop. And he is so responsive, and it means the world to me and my wife as we deal with something that I know a number of people have dealt with in St. Louis, and that's flooding, especially when it's in your own home and you've never been through this process before. That and That's what we're dealing with. To have James Carlton... It's beyond an advertiser here for the show. This is somebody who, if we didn't have him, we would be spinning around in circles. I cannot recommend James Carlton and the State Farm Insurance Agency enough to our audience. 314-961-4800 or go online at carltoninsurance.net. We are personally experiencing right now the benefits of working with someone the caliber of James Carlton, the thorough practices of his staff. And when you need somebody at any time, and that's going to, the flood doesn't come during business hours. The flood comes on Saturday nights for us. That's what happened. Saturday night, 1030. Oh my God, our basement is flooding and James Carlton is on it. 314-961-4800 or go online at carltoninsurance.net. If your insurance costs a leg and an arm, call James Carlton, State Farm. Uh, You know, I don't think so. I've always had real good confidence in Bill and that he was going to make this putt or that putt. And I also realize from firsthand experience how hard it is how hard golf is and to win a tournament and uh, to compete in today's world so uh, you know if he missed an eight footer it's not uh, I, I don't feel uh, like the world just came to an end because I've missed a thousand you know ten thousand of those so uh, I think I'm coming from a little bit different angle yeah. and I'd much rather have him putting it than me putting it certainly right now anyway <laughs> uh, but uh, if yeah, it's it's a tremendous thrill for me, and I'm just a, a a fan. You know, when I'm out there watching him play, and when he hits a good shot, it's terrific. When he hits a poor shot, 
I understand it. It's a hard game, and uh, everyone hits them offline every now and then, and you just keep moving forward. But it, it's uh, it's been a thrill of uh, my wife, Jan, and I uh, for for a long time uh, watching all of our kids' stuff. We had three daughters, and two of them played uh, high school basketball. Was I mean, I, I was more nervous, I think, about that than, than watching Bill play professional golf. You know? <laughs> just, uh, and, and as you will find out as you go through, as your daughter gets older, it just uh, there's nothing like it. Uh, the pride you feel when your kids do something well. It's, uh, uh, that's it's uh, a pretty special feeling. That's awesome. That's, that's awesome. You know, I'm always cute. I mean, your uncle, of course, Bob Golby, won one masters. I, I'm, I'm curious when you really like, like or maybe your parents were the people who told you when you actually started hitting a golf ball. Cause I feel like these days it's like, you see the, the commercial was like American express or Titleist or something like that with Justin Thomas and, and his dad and him are out there and he's what, like four, four years old and Jordan Spieth right. and him were, you know, six years old. When did you start you know, Skip Berkmeyer is a, a local guy here in, in St. Louis, a great amateur player. And he said, yeah, I started playing when I was two because my mom was a great player. And so I was just up there and that's when I started doing it. It seems oftentimes these days, most of the people we see out there were doing it at a very young age. Do you fall into that category? I, I do. I would say I probably first uh, put a, a club in my hands when I was about five. Uh, didn't really play any golf then, but I played, you know, around the yard with wiffle balls and all that. And then when I was seven, uh, summer when I was six and the next summer when I was seven, I would say I started to play a little bit more. My dad would take me out. Uh, we'd play nine holes. There was, of course, Elmwood over on uh, the Illinois side, mm-hmm. uh, played there as a nine hole course. And uh, we'd just go there on the weekends. And uh, but I did most of my practicing and playing in my backyard, you know, in the wiffle ball. And I always say that. I played against Jack Nicholas and Arnold Palmer and Gary Player. That was the foursome and Jay Haas, and I beat him every single time <laughs> in my backyard. So, <laughs> so you did get him. Was, you got him. <laughs> oh, absolutely! Every single time, they, you know, I had I don't know how many majors by the time I was done in my backyard. But um, you know, it was. Uh, I think I was a little bit strange though too. You know, there's so much more for kids to do today. And I would encourage all the kids, uh, if they like golf, that's great. But play baseball, play soccer, play basketball, play tennis, whatever, because your body's going to change so much from the time you're six years old to the time you're 16 and then onwards at 20, 25. So uh, it's great to get a good foundation in the game, but it takes a special person, I think, to just be a golfer. You know, I mean, there is kid, there's so much more going on and enjoy that part of it. But, uh, you know, I had the ability or the, the, the fortunate uh, happenstance to have uncle Bob there to teach me and all that. And then my dad to take me uh, out to play. And it was, uh, you know, I was kind of blessed in that regard. And, but I also had the passion for it. You know, yeah. I love to play and love to go out there and didn't mind playing by myself. You know, and that's the good part about golf. You don't need, you know, nine other guys to play basketball or you, you know, you just, uh, you can go hit balls by yourself and, and, uh, and play around the golf and, uh, you know, challenge yourself to different shots. When, when, when did it become clear, whether it be to you or if you've had a conversation with uncle Bob or your parents that you were trending in a direction that you were rising to the top and, and the rest of the pack was, was, was behind you. Was that happening before you got to high school uh, did it start to happen uh, you know, in high school? Probably, probably right in that time, you know, 12, 13, 14, somewhere in there where I started to play pretty good and shoot some good rounds. And then Bob would come home and we'd play and he'd say, you know, I've seen him come and go and you got what it takes. He was always my biggest cheerleader and always kept pumping me up and you can do this. I've seen guys, you know, you're, you're, you just need time. You just need to get strength and experience and all that, but you can come play, compete out there and, and play with these guys. So uh, you know, and then when I was maybe 16, 17, as I got into high school, I started to get a little bit longer and shoot some lower scores and win a few tournaments around there. The tournament golf was so different than it is now. I mean, you've got the AJGA and all these junior events everywhere around the country. It's nothing to hop on a plane and go across the country and play in a, a junior tournament nowadays. Back then, I played in the USAM, the US Junior, if I qualified and man, could I scrape enough money to get together, you know, to, to get to that tournament. And, uh, now it's not even a, a thought, you know, you just, you're, 
go play in the Bahamas or wherever these kids might play. Uh, but that's a great, I think, another reason that the kids, these 20-somethings are so good. They've been playing tournament golf, and they're not uh, afraid to play with a scorecard in their pocket, as we say. Yeah. They uh, uh, they love that competition, and if they're still doing it now and haven't gotten burned out, then they're going to be uh, good for a long time. What was the difference between you and the rest at that time? Were you, were you able to hit the ball much further, or, or was it the short game? What do you think was separating you from the pack? Putting? Uh, a little, not, not long, that's by any means, that's not long. Uh, I was never, never in that uh, uh, category, but I think I was a pretty consistent player. I put the ball in the fairway and I hit a good many greens. I was a good chipper and putter. Didn't really have any kind of highlight, but I had probably my putting at a young age uh, helped separate me and just being able to score. And, you know, and then at the time, I guess, uh, I thought that I could do it, you know, and I'd get into the hunt and, and hit a good shot when I needed to. And what we were just talking about there, yeah. how, do you, how do you hit those shots when you're nervous? And I was just able to pull them off and got more confident. And, uh, you know, hard to, hard to say, but, uh, you know, you pit yourself in a golf tournament, you pit yourself against other players, and that pretty much tells you where you stand. If you played great and you finished 50th, then you probably, you know, need to look to something else but if you uh, didn't play well and kind of still hung in there and had a chance then you probably had a future well i've been talking to you guys about one of our sponsors uh for a good while now and his name's mark Hanna with evergreen wealth strategies and i like talking about mark Hanna because i know he can really help you if you are in need of a financial advisor and i'm telling you this if you don't have one then you are in need of one and here is the one that you should be with mark Hanna of evergreen wealth strategies he presents our guests every week here on the tim mckernan show you can find him at evergreenstl.com that's evergreenstl.com or give him a call at 314-889-0503 that's 314-889-0503 mark Hanna of evergreen wealth strategies now, the thing you might be wondering is, well, I don't know, I'm 25 years old. I'm not going to need to think about retirement for another 30 years. I understand. I kind of thought the same thing, except I thought it was never going to be in play. And then all of a sudden you go, oh, wow, I haven't really been managing my money properly. And then you realize you've left a lot of dollars on the table. And now that I've been doing it properly for like the last couple of years, which is embarrassing that it took that long, I see the difference and how much it can mean to your life, for your peace of mind, and to get with someone the caliber of Mark, can't say enough about him. 314-889-0503. That's 314-889-0503. Or go online to evergreenstl.com. Now back to the guest Mark Hannis presenting this week, Jay Haas. You were part of what is considered to be the greatest college golf team ever, 1975 Wake Forest. I would imagine that was an incubator of talent as well with a, with a group of guys, uh, some names certainly familiar to our listeners, such as uh, Curtis Strange, uh, the two-time U.S. Open champion, uh, amongst many others. And you guys, what, what was the number? You won uh, the NCAA title by 33 strokes. <laughs> when, I, when I heard that from my producer the first time, I said, did you say 33 strokes? I mean, that makes... Tiger in 97 looked like nothing. I mean, 33 right, strokes. Right. Yeah, that was, you know, we, it's a different format uh, back then. Uh, the the format now certainly is different uh, quite a bit. Is uh, The top eight going to match play, and, and that's a very cool format, and I think it's terrific that it's on TV now and all that. Back then, we had a pretty solid team. I think uh, the year we won by 33, I finished first. Curtis Strange finished third, and Bob Byman finished fourth individually so uh, we had three really strong players there and then a, and a few other guys David Thor from Reedsville North Carolina he ended up playing a few years on the PGA Tour you know we had a deep team and it and also it used to uh, they counted the the best four for the week not just every day so if a guy shot an 80 and then shot 70 certainly counted the next day when he shot 70 and not the 80 mm. but back then you, he was 150 and that's what you had to count so we we, we got him pretty much with our depth and we didn't uh, didn't lose too many tournaments it was a cool time and curtis still says uh, i've heard him tell people uh, in in speeches and in uh, in crowds that uh, college golf was some of the best years of his life and would not trade that for anything 
all of the years on the PGA Tour, I mean, I'm looking at the numbers and it's just, you know, I mean, not only an incredible amount of success, but uh, durability, I think, would be a word I would think of when I'm looking at, at the numbers. I mean, you're playing in majors starting back in 1974 and all the way through 2008. I mean, there aren't a lot of people who can who can spread out that range and a lot of uh, top 10 finishes in there. If there is a moment that somebody said to you, Jay, this is the moment you could go back and relive from your 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 time on the tour. Um, what would that moment be? Boy, that's a that's a tough question. I don't know. There's. Uh, it seems like I remember a lot of the really good shots, but I also remember a lot of the really bad ones. <laughs> and so I'd certainly like to like a few of those back. I guess. Uh, you know, the year in '95, I finished third at Augusta and Ben. Crenshaw mm-hmm. won. I was leading after two days, and I think I shot 41 the front nine, maybe 42 the front nine, and uh, with the lead. And I'd like to go back then, knowing what I know now, maybe, and uh, be a little more uh, aware, be a little more calm, to be a little more believing in myself. I think as I got older and went to the Champions Tour. I played a little bit more aggressively in my mind, not necessarily shooting at pins with, from 280 yards away over water or anything like that, but just believe that uh, I was going to hit a good shot rather than trying not to hit a bad one. And I was probably, at that time, uh, I, tr- I thought, geez, don't make any mistakes rather than let's go shoot a good round, yeah. you know what I'm saying? And and I'd like to I'd like to have that one back. That's probably my best chance to win a major and certainly Augusta with Uncle Bob being up there in the champion's locker. That was my dream uh, goal to uh, to win that tournament and keep going back year after year because I saw how important it was to him and, uh, how, like I said, how great it was that every year it's the same place and just to be in that club of, of champions, there's uh, nothing quite like it. But that's – if I can just the top of my head – like I said, there's a there's hundreds of different things I wish I'd have done differently, but uh, but that was a, a time that I felt like uh, maybe I I gave away too much there. And and and, and I'm I'm really I'm, it's an honor to talk with anybody who's been able to do what, you, what you've done in the game of golf. I saw Justin Thomas on Twitter the other day at like 30 minutes. He was just kind of doing a Q and A with people on Twitter, and somebody asked him the question. Uh, I'm I'm starting the game, or my my son or daughter is, is just picked up the game. What would your advice be to somebody just picking up the game? And he said, spend a lot of time around the greens, chipping, pitching, and putting. A lot of people go to the range and they'll just start bombing it with the driver, and they don't really have a plan. But if you really want to see improvement, that's the place to do it. Is that what you would tell people as well? I think that's very very important. I believe that scoring, learning how to score learning how to play golf and I would liken it maybe to a, a baseball analogy where there's uh, I bet there's uh, quite a few guys that aren't in the major leagues that can throw it 94 95 right. miles an hour but they don't know how to pitch yep. and you know how to set up a hitter and things like that and I think golf's kind of the same way you you have to learn how to score and so uh, yes, short game is is the uh, is half the game you know you think about it I mean you hit only maybe 14 drives around and here you've got, you know, you're putting, you know, 25 to 35 times around or, or you hope not that many, but uh, you know what I'm saying? There's a sure. lot of, you're, you're doing it on every hole and, and uh, a good chip can help save you around. You know, you chip a, a tough shot, you chip it three feet and you make it. And now you're, you're almost as excited as about making a birdie. So, you know, practicing your short game is uh, is of the utmost, I think, and you, you've got to you got to put the hours in there. And as a kid, that's easy to do. You can play little games with yourself, and I've got to make, you know, five of these putts from ten feet to uh, you know in the next minute or whatever it is. You just play little games with yourself, but then also go play and try to shoot your best score that you ever shot each day. Mm-hmm. You know, if you if your best is eighty. You got to shoot seventy nine. You got to break eight. If it's seventy five, you got to shoot under that. You know, just each day go out and try to shoot a better score and learn that. Hey, I'm not going to hit a great every day, but boy, I shot my best score. You know, so that's uh, a kind of a revelation. Anybody can stand on the range and bang ball after ball after ball and say, "Look how far I'm hitting it," but 
well, not anybody, maybe. But you know what I'm saying. <laughs> sure, no, I know exactly uh, what you're talking about. That's the thing people just don't think said. about. It. That's so huge. The put, the putting, and, and one of the things when I asked Adam Long about that, uh, and he said one thing that I like to do, and it's very basic. I mean, you guys on the tour, you got all kinds of drills. He goes, I would set up like a one of those uh, aiming sticks, right, like about uh, what a foot to two feet behind the hole. And even if I didn't make it, I wanted to make sure that I got it in between the hole and that aiming stick so that I would make sure that I was getting the ball to the hole and pick up proper speed on putts. He feels like that's one of the things. And when I think about when I'm playing with people who don't play all that often, they'll leave putts short because they don't want to blow it past and then risk a three putt, but then they risk a three putt by leaving, you know, six feet on the putt, you know, that they left short. And that's one of the things that I feel like proper speed on putting, which I don't know if it's ever talked about, but when I look at when I have a good round and I don't have a good round, it's I'm getting the ball to the hole and at least giving it a chance. And if I don't, if I do get it to the hole, I don't blow it past by six feet and sure. leave myself a lot of meat on the bone. No, that, that's uh, you're exactly right. And I do think that the best putters have wonderful touch, you know, because we're not going to hit every every shot six and eight and twelve feet from the hole. But you're going to have thirty and forty and fifty footers, and if you can save a stroke by rolling it up there with a tap in or even a two or three footer. It just relieves a lot of pressure that you might feel and, uh, you know, save yourself. If you get a poor iron shot 50 feet from the hole and you two putt, you don't even think about it. You know, if right. you get a poor iron and you three putt, now, you, now you're blaming the putting and the iron. Right. You know? So it, it, uh, you're right. The best putters seem to have just wonderful, impeccable touch. Witness Tiger's putt from the ninth green. I was just about to ask you about that putt. I thought that putt, I mean, if it goes in, it's like, Johnny, that's better than most. I mean, it lives on Um, forever. It just came up with two rolls short. As as I saw where he was, I thought, wow, he's going to have to make an eight or ten footer here for his second putt. Uh, that was incredible. (laughs) And I would say that if you put put 100 spectators right there, you know, 65 of them would putt it off the green or into the bunker (laughs) or – not one of them would make it, I don't think, or or roll it as close as he did. So Sunday at the Masters, with all that pressure to roll that down there like that, that's uh, that's pretty mad. Yeah, that was that was actually the signature shot, and I think most people probably have forgotten about it by right now. But that right. was that was absolutely incredible. Final question for you: Do you get back to the St. Louis area often? Usually once a year. Uh, you know, not not any time special, but it just seems like that's what I average and. My sister uh, and brother-in-law live in St. Louis. My mom uh, still lives in the Belleville area. And she's 93, and, uh, you know, Bob's 90. They're still doing terrific, mine sharp as they can be. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it. but I don't get back as much as I'd like to. It seems like in the summer months I'm playing a lot. And, uh, you know, if anybody that's traveled, most of their life is probably the last thing they want to do is get on a plane and, <laughs> and go somewhere else when they don't not doing their job. But uh, yeah, I didn't you know, know if you would come back there. for the, the PGA Championship last year. I know you had some some near misses. You know, uh, at I, Bell I did actually. Oh, you did. I, I play. I, I came back and I watched Bill practice for two and a half days and uh, was out at the course. Uh, thought it was a wonderful setup there, Bell Reeve. You know, it's funny with all those people on the course there. I always thought Bell Reeve was this massive expanse of acreage and just huge. And with all those people, it was like, oh, my gosh, this place isn't big enough for these people. Uh, but the, you know what? It's a tribute to the crowds and the, the people of St. Louis, how passionate they are about golf and how they turn out for an event like that. It's been uh, it's pretty darn good. And the PGA in the past, when uh, – when Nick won, Nick Price won, I played in uh, the Senior U.S. Open, the Senior PGA we've had there. Wonderful crowds for us. So uh, hats off to the people of St. Louis for supporting golf over the years. That that one still gets talked about. I had a, a gentleman, um, like I said, I, I lived down in Florida for a few months during spring training, and this guy was playing at Medalist, and I guess that's where Kepka will, will play a decent amount when he's not out on the road. And he was hitting balls next to him on the range at Medalist, and Kepka saw his bag tag, and it was a club in St. Louis. And Kepka goes, St. Louis, huh? And this guy's just, you know, a guy who was happy to be at Medalist that day. And he goes, St. Louis, huh? He goes, best golf tournament ever. And and I huh. and, and the players, you know, ranging from Tiger 
to Kepka and a number of other guys just talked about how great the crowds were, you know, and you've right. been, you've been in front of, you know, you've been in front of them all. I mean, take your pick of, right. of, of any major. And for whatever reason, the players really, really enjoyed it. And it's not like it was the great, you know, it wasn't like it was 75 degrees with, with 40% humidity. I mean, those were some wicked conditions. And for whatever reason, the players really loved that stretch of days and appreciated it. Right. Well, I think, and too, you think about how much, uh, the Cardinal fans appreciate the team there, yep. and you very rarely hear boos, and they're not cynical. They uh, they really root for the team, and I think that that's uh, that maybe spilled over uh, in the in, for the golf tournaments. Is they they and golf's the kind of game that you kind of root for everybody, mm-hmm. and maybe you don't wish so much bad on the other guys. You just want your guy to do well. Whereas the you know it's the home team, away team, all that stuff in baseball, but they're always so appreciative of. Uh, of the Cardinals and, and even the visiting team when they do something well. And I think that kind of showed itself uh, with golf too, but you're right. The, I think the guys loved it. I think the, you know, they'll come back there for sure in, in the future. I don't know if anything's on the, on the list now, but uh, you know, they've, they've done a, a great job over the years of putting on some quality events. Jay, I have really enjoyed this conversation uh, so much uh, that we spent time discussing. I hope I didn't take too much of your time, but I really enjoyed getting your perspective on uh, not only what happened recently at Augusta, but also your career and everything in the world of golf. And I'm I'm sure our our listeners enjoyed it well. So I sincerely appreciate it and thank you for your time. Well, I thank you for having me on and enjoyed, uh, enjoyed the conversation. Great questions and Go Cardinals. All right. Everybody can agree with that, man. Thank you so much, Jay. Continued (laughs) success out there. All right. Talk soon. Thank you. So there it is, our conversation with Belleville native Jay Haas here on the Tim McKernan Show. Really enjoyed talking with him, getting his perspective on Tiger uh, and also uh, his progression as a golfer. I always find that that part of when we talk, we've talked with Jay Williamson, we've talked with Adam Long, and now Jay Haas and getting that perspective Uh, It's so helpful to have. And we thank all of our sponsors for making it possible. Ryan Kelly, thehomeloanexpert.com. Also, uh, of course, Mark Hanna, our guest at Evergreen Wealth Strategies. James Carlton of the Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency. And also Design Air Heating and Cooling online at designairservice.com. It's hard to stop a train. They're the number one train dealer in the Midwest. And Johnny Landoff Chevrolet. Chevy, find new roads. Highway 270 in the Washington Elizabeth Exit. Johnny Landoff Chevrolet. All making this podcast possible. Thank you to Jay Haas. Thank you to our producers, Iggy and Gangster Pete. And thank you to listening for another edition of the Tim McKernan Show here on the Inside STL Podcast Network from the HomeLoanExpert.com studio.